Thank you for tuning in to the WAM Podcast, where women empower women in business and manufacturing. Hi, I'm Linda Regano, co-host of the WAM Podcast. It's an honor to host this podcast where listeners get to hear candid conversations with some amazing female leaders. You'll hear their stories, personal and professional challenges that they've overcome, and more importantly, how they're giving back to their communities and oftentimes the world. We hope that you find their stories to be as inspirational as we do. And joining me today is an amazing entrepreneur who is changing the way that we look at supply chain today. In 2017, Lisa Morales-Hellebo and her partner, Brian Away, launched the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation. Now, this federation is the world's first, largest, and fastest-growing grassroots-driven network of open and multidisciplinary meetup communities, and it's all focused on supply chain, technology, and innovation. In 2014, Lisa also founded Refashion Ventures, which is tied to this in a way because it's a VC that champions innovative companies who are reinventing supply chains. So that was a mouthful right there. So <laughs> let's get right to it and join me, everyone, in a warm welcome to Lisa. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for joining our show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Well, you've done so much, and I was hoping that maybe you could start from the beginning and just give our listeners a little bit more information about your background. You have a, a fascinating background. Maybe you sure. could tell us. Yeah, I'm a Puerto Rican from the Bronx who grew up in Westchester that was obsessed with fashion since I was a little girl. <laughs> and I've somehow managed to combine my obsession with fashion with my obsession with technology. And that technology obsession came much later in life. But here I am with technology and fashion combined throughout my career, starting back in Silicon Valley during the first dot-com boom when I was working at a Procter & Gamble and Red Point Ventures owned company that became world renowned for mass customization, personalization, and on-demand manufacturing of cosmetic skincare, hair care, and fine fragrance back in 1999. So nothing existed till you created it. And I was a 26 year old playing with algorithms, user experience, models, and beauty products. And it was amazing. Wow. Um, That's a lot your time. Yeah. yeah, it became it became really the catalyst for my entire career to have that opportunity to play with those things and be so far ahead of the curve of the rest of the world, really. I've really combined big data, algorithms, user experience, how and why women in particular shop into pretty much everything I've done throughout my 25 years now in tech. And it led me down a path to eventually starting my own tech company. It was called Shopsy. And we were similar to Polyvore, where you have these collages, visual collages of outfits mm -hmm. that you can modify by applying simple filters of price or color. And in doing so, the algorithms would generate permutations of that outfit. So basically, many people would go for the look for less. A $10,000 outfit in seconds, we could find it for you now with items under $100. Oh, I love that. <laughs> from over 6,000 brands on the fly. And so I got into Techstars Boston with this company, raised some venture capital, but eventually we ultimately failed. And there were a lot of lessons learned in doing so that I took with me, one of which was the day after we pulled the plug on Shopsy and took it offline, I got a call from ASOS, the big retailer digital native out of the UK, 
saying, what happened? We've been following you. You made something we need. We've never seen before. And I said, oh, I know I couldn't get to anyone like you. And so instead of going into a founder depression, I realized that these big brands needed things that VCs weren't funding and just didn't frankly care about, which was also supported by the conversations I had when pitching to VCs, saying things like, oh, why don't you just buy some inventory like that nasty gal? And I'd say, well, why did they let you cut checks if you can't tell the difference between a traditional e-commerce brand that you're way overvaluing and the future of search, which is what I've built. So I went and decided to build the New York Fashion Tech Lab. The first ever fashion tech accelerator partnered with the big brands and retailers, Macy's, J. Crew, Kate Spade, Ralph Lauren, Lee and Fung, Global Brands Group, et cetera, and realized during that first cohort that, again, I was privy to insights that most people didn't have talking to the C-suite of these companies for the better, almost a year behind closed doors. And I realized that everyone's trying to invest in and focus on an agile front end, but you have a static back end, the supply chain. And being a systems thinker and developer, that just doesn't work. So I left and I focused on really learning the ins and outs of the current paradigm for the apparel supply chain. Spent a year in maker labs, cut and sew shops, ateliers, factories of all sizes, and really combined it with what I had been doing in Silicon Valley during the first dot-com boom with that mass customization on-demand cosmetics company and really came up with my own paradigm and thesis as to what I think is, is really possible now and necessary combining all of the things that everyone's been talking about, sustainability, circularity, fast fashion. Got news for you. You can't really force consumers to change what they want. So it's up to us to really build a better mousetrap to give them what they want. I love that your focus is on the, the back end, that you can't have this innovative cutting edge display without addressing what your systems are doing, your supply chain. Absolutely. And people tend to think that supply chain is unsexy, but I think it is foundational to the most sexy experiences. Luxury, you think about luxury, it's really defined by quality and experience. And those two things are foundational to, they're, they're driven by exceptional supply chains. If you don't have the right product in the right place at the right time, and then the, the right delivery mechanism, the consumer isn't delighted. And, and that's all founded in great supply chains. Okay. So as you were doing this, this I believe this is what led you to BC Fashion Venture, the venture that capital? Yeah. So, well, I started refashioned uh-huh. really as kind of an exploration and a study. I just loved the name and I knew I wanted to focus on the re- refashioning of the fashion supply chain. And I thought the name was uh, is stuck. And so while I was doing this exploration, I started refashioned, not refashioned ventures, just this company that was sort of the overarching parent behind all of this research and innovation I was working on for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. And those years really led me to the thesis for building a venture fund. And at this time, that's when I met Brian, my my co-founder and partner. He and I met and had coffee for half an hour. And I told him I wanted to 
join somebody else's fund. And he said, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. <laughs> so you, should, <laughs> you need to go and build your own venture fund. And I said, well, easy for you to say you're at a venture fund already. <laughs> and right. it's, not, it's not terribly easy to, to just go and build a venture fund on your own. And so he beat into me why I really needed to do this. He said, nobody knows as much about this space as you. Nobody's as passionate about this space as you. If you join somebody else's fund, you're going to be the most junior person with the most experience and your deals will never see the light of day. And your passion for this space will be beaten out of you. The only way to do this is to do it yourself. And I'm like, oh, that's the story of my life. So <laughs> I said, okay, I don't mind being in white, living in the white space and, and having to build something from nothing against all odds. But if I'm going to do this, you're, you're going to be my spirit guide into building a venture fund. <laughs> and he comes from a finance background. Is that not correct? Yes. Yeah. He has been in finance his whole career and he studied actually physics and math in college. Like, wow, our backgrounds couldn't be much more different. I studied design and design thinking. But really, when you look at it in practice, we're such a yin and yang of how we think, how we approach problems and problem solve. It's become a really complementary partnership. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And so what, what are the criteria that you look for in companies that you're looking to, to uh, get involved with? Yeah. So we're looking for, we invest in early stage supply chain companies that are refashioning global supply chains. And really it's pretty broad when you think about supply chains are the foundation of every business and every transaction on this planet. But we're specifically looking for companies around data logistics, advanced materials, and advanced manufacturing. Okay. And one of the things early on in, in our conversations was, I, I remember how you talked about how men and women differ, you know, when you start looking at these startups. Could you maybe just expand on that a little bit more? Sure. Yeah, I've, I've learned one of my first investors in, in my fashion tech company, Bill Warner out of CIC in Boston, asked me, said, you know, you're you're only the third woman I've actually invested in. I'd love for you to tell me if there's anything different that you need than a male founder. And at the time I was like, I have no idea. I would assume we're the same. But what I've learned along the way, unfortunately, is that we're not. The playing field certainly is not even when you have women, female founders receiving less than 2% of all venture capital. Mm. And you layer that with categories that male VCs just frankly don't invest in or they don't understand and like fashion. And what I've learned is instead of saying flat out, I don't, I don't understand this space and it's not for me and you'd have to educate me a lot of education is that the, they'd rather instruct founders to change their business model to match a pattern that they do recognize that they can invest in. And this has led to, contributed to, in part, to the retail apocalypse that we're seeing. VCs invest in things that they know, that they understand, patterns that match, and most of them just don't know and understand or care about fashion and retail, unfortunately. Or fortunately for me, <laughs> so, and female founders in particular in this space, I've noticed 
they get so much further with so much less. And I, I, literally, when I was talking to Brian about building this fund, I said, you know, I can't believe that nobody is, am I the only one seeing this? It's a $2.4 trillion global industry if you look at just fashion alone. Uh -huh. If you add in all supply chains, it's a 15, over $15 trillion market. And if you co combine that with female founders receiving less than 2% of venture capital, yet they are 30% more profitable when they build companies and their male counterparts on less capital raised, what's not to love about this space, you know? Well, those are some pretty significant numbers. 30% are more profitable. I mean, with a number like that, why aren't more people paying attention to these women? Well, it's, again, a matter of unconscious bias and your networks really defining your your opportunities both on both sides of the equation. So female founders don't have the networks or even people of color don't have the networks to get access to the big VCs. Mm. And this industry is, it has so many barriers that they require you get a warm intro from someone. Okay, as a Puerto Rican from the Bronx, I didn't have a warm intro to anyone <laughs> at any fund until I got into Techstars. So accelerators do create massive opportunities for all different types of founders that formerly never would have had them. But just adding these layers of barriers, what school did you go to? Do we hang out? Do we have mutual friends? It's just insane. If you really want to invest in the best deals, you're going to look at all possible founders, mm. whether they're people of color or women. And if you truly are looking at just data, you'd be investing in women. Yeah. And, and we hear that consistently, you know, from, from other guests and through research that's been done that, you know, companies that have more women on board tend to be more profitable with, with yeah. them on board in leadership positions. So, so let's, let's talk more about the, the networking angle of it. Cause I, I think that's an important point. You talked about the unconscious bias, and then women tend to have different kinds of networks. I believe that's one of the reasons why you and Brian also started this Worldwide Supply Chain Federation a couple of years back. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and your vision for it? Sure. Yeah. Actually, we started the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation after we founded the New York Supply Chain Meetup. It was kind of organically grown out of Brian's desire to hang out with other supply chain nerds in New York City. <laughs> so he immediately got onto meetup.com and was looking for a supply chain meetup and was shocked to see that there wasn't one. So he set up a URL on meetup.com and reserved it and said, Lisa, I did something stupid. Can you help me <laughs> build this organization? And I said, well, now I get to be your spirit guide into building an actual company. It was born out of our desire to connect with other like-minded in individuals. And so the New York Supply Chain Meetup from our first event, we realized was something unique. We thought maybe 30 other people would show up and talk supply chains with us, but it ended up being 150 people standing room only and we had to kick people out at the end of the evening. Wow. And <laughs> so after that first event, we had people reaching out to us from around the world saying, how do we tap into what you're doing in New York? Are you going to live stream? How do we gain access to this community from 
Bangladesh, Athens, Adelaide, you know, all over the planet. And we were floored. But that's what really drove us to build the Worldwide Supply Chain Federation, offering other individuals in communities around the world the access and opportunity to build their own supply chain organization that would be a sister chapter to the New York Supply Chain Meetup and giving us the best global reach of community of supply chain enthusiasts and builders and buyers around the globe. So, and Lisa, let's talk a little bit because there are other organizations that represent supply chain, but what makes this different? And maybe you could speak a little bit more to the uniqueness of your business model. Sure. So everything we do so far has been free. Ah, <laughs> and <that's> the answer. <laughs> yes. We truly want to optimize for enthusiasm and serve our community. This is a community that has been underserved and I think undervalued for a long time. And frankly, I think that's one of the reasons why they're so excited about joining an organization that celebrates their contributions to their companies. They are showing up and having cold pizza and warm water at our unfancy events. But yeah, we were bootstrapped. So we rely on a donated space and some organizations that have, you know, paid for our thousand dollars of pizza and water for each event. And we intend to try to keep it free for as long as possible because it does allow for, again, a more open community of individuals where price won't be a factor. So let's talk then about the, you have a conference that's coming up, which is very different than the, the, the monthly meeting. Can you just talk a little bit more about how that came to be and, and what you're planning on doing with the conference? Sure. Yeah. The conference is Supply Chain Innovation and Technology 2019 in New York City, and it's being hosted at Microsoft's New York headquarters in Times Square on June 19th through 20th. And this conference really came about kind of similar to how Brian started the meetup. <laughs> he tweeted out to our global network, hey, wouldn't it be cool or who would be interested in, in having a global supply chain summit in New York City? And within two hours, we had 10 companies offering to fly in from around the globe oh boy. to speak at this, com at this uh, conference that apparently was now a thing. So we are for the community, by the community, truly will ask the community what they want, and then we'll work with them to ensure that we can serve it up. This event is free, two days. The first day is focused on an invite-only curated selection of executives and best of global supply chain thinkers. We're really focused on the future of supply chains, as opposed to most conferences or think tanks, you're being served up, you know, we've done a study on what's been done or what people are working on now. But we like to live in the space that is kind of the white space of the future and bringing together the best of uh, thought leadership from different universities and emerging startups that can define how they see the future of supply chains. So that's the first day of the conference, a, a sort of collaborative workshop amongst executives and speakers. And we have a few different tracks, fashion track, logistics, 
maritime and two blockchain tracks. So it's going to be a really exciting conversation in the first day. The second day is a public showcase day where we have, uh, we're aiming for 15 startups flying in from around the world, doing demos and presenting. So if you're interested in checking out the best of emerging supply chain companies, the second day is for you and you can sign up because it's free. I love it. I love it. That sounds exciting. So how do people get involved in this? How do they sign up? Where do they go? Yeah, you can go to the New York Supply Chain Meetup website, which is tnyscm.com. And on the homepage, you'll see a link to our event and in the navigation. And we are going to be posting more on our social media as we get closer to the event. So anyone that follows us, you'll be learning more about our speakers and lineup. We'd love for anyone to reach out and and join us at this global event. That sounds terrific. That really does. And I hope for our listeners out there that we'll also have this available at our WAM podcast with the link. But I believe you want to sign up quickly, right? Because there's going to be a space limit and it's yeah. Yeah. So space is limited. Microsoft has been so generous in, in offering to host us, giving us a whole the sixth floor of their headquarters for the two days. But there we do have a space limit. So if you're really enthusiastic and passionate about supply chain, you should sign up early. And you get to meet Lisa uh, while you're there, Lisa and Brian. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. So let's let's first bring it back a little bit more back to you because, I mean, you've got such a fascinating background and you've learned so much. And I, I love the way that you've merged the, your passion for fashion and and just your, your talent on the technology side. I always like to ask our listeners, who were the biggest influencers in your life? And you know, who are the people that you look to and said, wow, they really made a difference and I'm here today because of them? Hmm. Yeah, I, again, was obsessed with fashion when I was little. So I'll say Fabian Barron, who was an amazing graphic designer for the magazines, fashion magazines in the 80s. He is probably one of the reasons why I went into graphic design, wanting to work at in a fashion magazine when I graduated from Carnegie Mellon. And then Dan Boyarski, he was a professor at Carnegie Mellon who has been a personal mentor and advocate for me throughout my career. And Steve Jobs, like most people that are into innovation, I was fortunate enough to meet him at his uh, first store opening out in California and shake his hand. And he said, I have a daughter named Lisa as well. I think there's so many inspiring people that have changed the world. And that's really where I've always focused. People that have a unique point of view and don't settle for no. Mm. Anyone that has been a game changer has been a massive inspiration for me. And so, yeah, I think hopefully I, I can be an inspiration for somebody as they're growing up. And that's one of the reasons why I've I've said yes to so many speaking engagements, even though it's time consuming and I've got businesses to run. It's really important to be out there and to be visible for other people of color, women in business. You know, it, you never know who you're going to inspire. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. So, so looking back, when you think about, I mean, here you are, this, you know, this, uh, you know, Puerto Rican girl from the Bronx who, who makes good and how do you, if you would look back at just the challenges that you've had, what advice would you give yourself in your 20s or your 30s or, or even now? 
<laughs> I wish somebody had told me to expect more from myself when I was in my 20s. I think that we are so focused on telling our youth to set out your, your career trajectory. Mm -hmm. But when you do that and you're surrounded by people that aren't expecting as much from you, you're limiting your own potential. Your potential can either be shaped as positive or negative by the people you surround yourself with. And so it took me until I was 30 something and had a client that was representing the top 1% of minority wealth in this country to walk into a room and have all these black and brown people say that were millionaires and billionaires say, well, what else are you going to do? Yes, you have this agency, you're making good money, but what, what's your bigger contribution going to be to the world? And it was the first time I had been in a room, first of all, black and brown people that were millionaires and billionaires. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I really started to expect more from myself and didn't even think it was possible. You know, that building companies and changing the world was for white men in Silicon Valley that... It, it never even crossed my mind, even though I had worked in Silicon Valley and I had met Steve Jobs and, and all of these heroes throughout my career, I started to say, why not me? And I think that people need to understand that everyone on this planet has the equal potential. The only thing is we don't have equal access or support in chasing our vision. That's right. And however, though, if more people are like you and mentor others and get out there and and be a part of the community and everything that you're doing with the worldwide supply chain federation is centered around connecting people, you know, connecting talent. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I that is definitely giving back in, in a major way. So as we're, we're coming in toward the close on our show, but I'd love to any last advice that, or last thoughts that you'd have for female listeners or even male listeners, what would you tell them? So I'd say that everything you want is, is achievable you just need to not only be able to really truly envision it, but speak it into existence. And words have power. And how you talk about yourself and your goals truly can shape the outcome. So speak it into existence. Find your people. I think that is the, one of the most important things. If you're surrounded by people that do nothing but cut down your ideas and vision, they're not your people. Right. No, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's really important to find your people that expect more from you, have achieved more, and are willing to support you in achieving whatever your big, hairy, crazy vision is, because it is possible. Nothing in the world is impossible. It's just never been done before. So don't let other people's small-minded perceptions of what they think they can achieve shape your outcomes. That's perfect. And look, that goes right back to Brian saying, you know, forget joining another uh, for your own. <laughs> yep. Great example exactly. of, uh, of being challenged. Well, Lisa, thank you so much. You've given us so many excellent insights. And, you know, for our listeners out there, if you're interested in supply chain, be sure to sign up for your free pass to this Worldwide Supply Chain Federation's first ever conference. Again, it's on June 19th and 20th. It's right at Microsoft's Conference Center in Times Square. It's free. Should I say that again? It's free, yeah. <laughs> which is a first. And if you go to www.tnyscm.com, actually, the T is it's New York Supply Chain 
Is that correct, Lisa? Yes, okay. that's the domain for our current website. Yeah, the New York Supply Chain Meetup. Okay, so if you go to the meetup, you'll see it on the uh, the homepage there. Get your pass when you get a chance. Get in there and shake Lisa's hand. Say hello to Brian and start your own opportunities. So, Lisa, thank you. Thank you again. It's been a pleasure having you on, and I want to have you back so we can talk about how great the conference went. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. All right, and goodbye for now to all our listeners. We'll look forward to seeing you on our next program. Thank you for joining the WAM Podcast, where women empower other women in business and manufacturing. For more shows like this, go to whampodcast.com. That's whampodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.